My nasty cell was just as I left it. Twelve shiny black eyes watched me sit on the dank floor. <sighs> Alvaro had my attention when he offered me 20%. <laughs> $4 dollars tax-free? That set me up for life. Of course, of course, it was something I'd like to be involved in. It was a conclusion I could reach before I even calculated the delicious risk of it. Risk and reward again. Never show your hand, I reminded myself. You know that some banks in the U.S. aren't completely stable right now. Your friend's bank is one of them. Economists are predicting even more instability in the coming months. This is why it is such a great time to move my money to them. There could be some truth to that. I do know that David would do anything to save his bank. The more money your friend David has, the less interested the FDIC will be in him. You're a smart guy, Clint Kennedy. I'm sure you will find a way to make it happen. If I knew how, I would have done it years ago. I need you, and that's why I'm willing to pay you so handsomely. <laughs> of course he was right. The feds were buzzing around Jack and his father only because his big stupid brother Abe had made so very many questionable loans, most of which they were never going to be collected, and many of which were even now in default. Show the feds there was enough cash on hand to keep the bank from imploding, they'd happily back off. This was at least the consensus Jack and his parents, David and Candace, had come to back in the early spring of 08. It seemed Alvaro had just handed me a way to save David's bank. Well, the one major problem I foresaw as I stood in that room, in the midst of all that rubber-banded cash, was how to get Alvaro's money into the bank, without making its source obvious. The feds would ask minimal questions about a cash infusion. But if there was even a hint that one of the answers might be that it was drug money, well... Huh. As I've already said, drugs are a bit of a third rail. Some sniveling little government accountant would get his panties in a twist and make a stink that his other, more reasonable counterparts would be unable to ignore. Even to this thorny question, however, I thought I might have a solution. A way around bank security that had entered my mind one late celibate night after Pager had served me one or two many beers as I lounged around my pool. The next day, stone sober of course, I'd fleshed out my theory. And now it seemed I maybe had a good reason to give it a real world test. I also needed to do my own research. My background check on Alvaro. I needed to make sure that I wasn't being set up. The next big, splashy drug bust. A sting operation that, of course, was just for show. A show put on by the U.S. and Mexican governments to demonstrate for the press that they were very serious about ending the drug trafficking business. And, of course, so all the real kingpins could continue about their business unmolested. I'd, um... I need to talk to Jack before I could give you an answer. You are a careful man, Clint. You will need to travel to Miami, and you can take my jet. All I need is to contact my pilot, and he will be ready to go. <laughs> hey, I could even go with you. We could have a night on the town, huh? Miami is such a good place for getting laid. Clint, you and I are going to play together soon, don't forget. 
<laughs> Let's see how business goes. I, I need to make some phone calls. Sure, sure, I understand. The driver will take you home, yes? Yes, Javier, Mr. Clint Kennedy needs to go home. Come out here now. Clint needs a ride back to his house. The driver, a different one than had driven the four of us to Alvaro's compound, and the same sullen shotgunner escorted me back to my home. I jumped out of my Hummer at the front door, waving the car away before I yanked my phone out of my pocket and dialed. I walked through the kitchen while it rang, indicating to Pedro, who was in there busily polishing the few pieces of silver service I had so far accumulated, candle holders, that he had taken it upon himself to keep glowing pristinely, that I needed a beer. I made my way out to the pool, chucking my shirt, and took a deep pull on the Bohemia Dark before my call was answered. Hello? Hey, Jack, it's Clint. Listen, um, <clears throat> I need to know everything you can find out about a Mr. Alvaro Moreno. Well, hello to you too, Clint. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, don't worry about that. I'll fill you in on it later. Just, um, I need to know everything you can find out about him. Now, if, if you can. All right. Here, let me put you on speaker, and then I'll uh, start looking at something. All right, and um, it's Moreno is M-O-R. Clint, R- Clint, I've got it. You know, scrolling through. All right, Jack. Sorry. Did you, uh, you find anything good? Yeah. Alvaro Moreno was it's about... Alvaro. Alvaro Moreno uh-huh. was about nine years old when his father, also Alvaro, but now deceased, so our Alvaro has inherited the title of senior, enticed him and his younger brother, Oscar, to watch and learn bullfighting. The father was a well-known fighter in Mexico, as well as in Spain, and this was not so long ago, but before bullfighting became so controversial. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm kind of surprised someone of Alvaro's age is a bullfighter, considering how the young people are the ones that think of this as a cruelty of the past era. It's, it, it's a tradition down here. And traditions, they don't die out nearly as fast as you think they would. Okay. Huh. Anyway, the father didn't let the son start training for the ring until Alvaro was 13. Really? So, Oscar must have been, what, 11? It seems about right. About that. When young men start training for the ring, they use those young bulls who don't have their horns yet. Ooh, there's a story here that uh, young Alvaro wanted to kill his first bull. (laughs) Yeah, just met the guy doesn't exactly sound out of character for him. Well, his coach had to stop him, because, you know, don't kill those bulls until they've grown up and become aggressive. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, ooh... Let's see here. Nice little tabloid. When Alvaro was 14, he and his family's 30-year-old housekeeper started a six-month affair. No shit. (laughs) A liaison probably arranged by his father. Jesus. Hey, a boy's got to lose his virginity at some point, right? Oh, come on, Might as well be with an agreeable older woman. And this housekeeper is supposed to be gorgeous. Just shut the fuck up. Well, after six months anyway, the father sent the housekeeper packing. Apparently, with a nice cash payoff. Why doesn't that surprise me? Oh, okay, so, <laughs> enough of that. Ooh. Do you have anything Clint, on... hang on, on one second. Dad's at the door. Hang oh. on. Hey, Dad, uh, I got Clint on the phone. Can you, can you Is everything all right? Do you need to go? Or? No, 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 I got it. All right. 
Ooh, you should see these photos of teenage Alvaro I found. All right. They, you know what? I'm going to send them to you because they are fucking hot, hot, hot. Can you focus, like, Jack? Ooh, they're like one of those early Spanish settlers you see in the history books. Jesus. Dark and sleek, you know? Hey, I'd have tapped that. Can you focus on the business, you little horn dog? Clance, you don't... Oh, I'll send them, please. His debut fight was in the Plaza del Torres when he was 18. The stadium was full, 20,000 people. It's not usual for such a newcomer to face that large crowd. But his father was scheduled to fight later in the day. And in any case, the fans wanted to see what the son of such a famous fighter could do. And what could he do? He killed it. I mean, figuratively and literally. 15 minutes into that fight... The bull hits Alvaro, knocks him over, and the crowd goes wild. Thinks the kid's been injured. But the kid gets up, and when the bull returns, he turns and drives that sword right into its head. Listen, I just found this video of an interview right after the fight. Modest man, right? Don't believe it for a second. Uh, don't worry, I don't. Well, so the only snag, it seems, for gorgeous young Alvaro was that uh, Oscar was the better fighter. <laughs> Had more of the father's natural abilities, at least from what I've been reading online. Alvaro's not a bad fighter, and nothing here says that. It's just that his brother is the one that got famous. Hmm. Alvaro still has plenty of fans, but he only fights in exhibitions for tourists, and mostly in the off-season. Well, what else does he do? Well, when he had stopped fighting, he started some businesses. All legit. Used his father's fame and his brother's for Andre. And his father's associates were all too happy to back him financially. All the businesses were legit? Are legit. On paper, anyway. Construction material supply, a chain of pool cleaning services. There's a rumor here that he's one of the two local distributors for the Beta Cartel in Merida. Hmm. I guess his business partners figured anyone that could get in the ring with a killer bull could certainly deal with an incompetent government and drug people. So he's clean. Clean? Except for the drug people, Clark. Fucking Clint, what the fuck are we getting into? I think you, me, and David should have a talk. Yeah, sure. In person. Why don't you come up to Miami? Yeah, I'll, I'll be there tomorrow, Jack. Consider me on my way. I hung up the phone and chugged the rest of the beer pager I brought to me before I dropped my pants and dove into the cool water. The potential of suddenly acquiring great wealth is enough to make anyone a little lightheaded. I thought a dozen laps in the water might be enough to clear mine. I flew out before dawn the next morning on Alvaro's Gulfstream G450, bound for Miami to meet with Jack and his father and propose a business deal. How that deal would be structured was, at this point, anyone's guess, including mine. Tim, Alvaro's handsome young steward, stowed my duffel bag. I planned on a short trip, so I wasn't going to need a whole lot of changes of clothes, and he asked me what he could bring me from the galley. Coffee or orange juice? A little bit of bubbly in the OJ, perhaps? Maybe start the day off with a bang, not a whimper. (laughs) Thanks, Tim. Just the coffee. Very good, Mr. Kennedy. He turned to leave, then stopped, 
and looked back, twisting his head only over his shoulder so I had a full view of his backside as he walked away. How do you take it? Just black, Tim. I smiled and settled back on the main sofa in the cabin. Just black. If I'd boarded this jet without any idea of whose it might be, I realized I would know with absolute certainty that it was Alvaro Moreno's. Two swooping sofas, covered in white leather, ran the length of the main cabin, strewn with plump pillows in gold and turquoise lame. An oval table of high-gloss gold and white wood sat between them, along with a coffee table that rose to dining level, I discovered when Tim returned with my tray of coffee, with one light step on a pedal to activate the hydraulics. There must be something else that I could get you, Mr. Kennedy? I appreciate it, Tim. I've got some work to do before landing. Okay. In case you change your mind, I'll be in the back, twiddling my fingers. I nodded. Thanks again. An arch of etched and frosted glass depicting a bull in full fury on one side and a matador swirling a furious cape on the other defined the cabin's entry. And underfoot there was a, a white carpet walked a fine line between being a deep shag and a shaggy fur. I sat back on a surprisingly comfortable turquoise pillow and sipped my coffee, a dark roast with just a hint of anise, absolutely delicious. And I thought about how I could get Alvaro's money into Jack's bank, and how I could convince Jack and his father that it was in their best interests to help me do it. I knew their bank was like many banks in the late spring of 08, in pretty deep financial trouble. Well, their particular trouble stemmed, as I've already indicated, from one of the era's most common sources of problems. Bad loans. Hmm. Loans that had been made without appropriate collateralization and or with outright falsified income statements. In this case, bad loans made by Jack's odious older brother, Abe. You wanted a half million dollar house, but your combined family income was just 35000 a year? Well, Abe would just add a one in front of the three on your application, and no one, not his father, not his brother, nor any of the other officers in on his scam, could convince him. It didn't matter how much money the bank was in line to make because they had extended the loan if, when, the homeowner defaulted because he couldn't afford the damned house. The bank was going to lose. Jack and his dad had been scrambling for months to increase the capital so the feds wouldn't take the whole damn bank over. (laughs) On the other hand, the the beauty of dealing with Jack and his dad was that I could tell them the truth. They were, in in many ways, my family too. These were people who who believed in me, cared for me extravagantly, and who would go what they had already gone so far out on a limb for my sake. Also, bringing Alvaro's deal to them offered a solution to their own problems. The only ugly part was Abe. Abe and I... Abe and I had always been on opposite ends of a friendship. I took comfort from Jack's final words to me on the phone call the night before. I will do anything to save my bank. I repeated the words to myself took another sip of my excellent coffee. 
and I settled in to contemplate my theory on how to breach bank security, how I could make this money transfer work. A few hours later, Alvaro's jet settled down gently at the Homestead Airport, just as the sun was rising. As we taxied to the hangar, I saw Jack get out of his silver Porsche 718 and flip his cigarette in the grass. He waved at the plane, just assuming I was looking out the window at him. And he started jogging over to the tarmac, an activity for which he was well-suited. Seeing as he was still in his bike shorts, tank top, and workout shoes that he'd worn, most likely to a spin class. <laughs> ha! Now that is what I call style, my friend! <laughs> what a hot fucking ride! I know, right? And I'll show you the inside later you wouldn't believe. Jack... Bro, I've really missed you. Great to see you, too. Jack. Jack had been my friend since we were third in third grade. Students in the same private school classroom. He, a legacy student, his father and grandfather were both alumni, and his sadistic older brother was a couple of grades ahead of us. And me. There on his dad's dime, too, paid for partially, I'm still sure, because his dad saw how, j- how close Jack and I had gotten the summer before. When I tagged along with my mom who'd worked for the Coens, and he didn't want to separate us. But also, partially because, even at that age, David saw something in me that his own son lacked. And even at that age, I was aware of what it was. Jack. Jack was smart, good-looking, athletic, outgoing, personable. He had everything in the world, except the ability to make an effort, to fix on something he wanted and go after it with a single-minded determination. That was a quality that I added to the equation, and, (laughs) frankly, I still do. You need to level with me now. I didn't get any sleep thinking about this whole Alvaro Moreno mess. What would you say if I told you I had a plan that would save your bank? I... Ah, shit, bro. I hate this car. I feel like I'm sitting on the damn pavement. Oh, please. I love this car, and I wouldn't drive anything else. I mean... A spider, of course. That I'd drive. Now a spider. That is the ultimate sexy ride. So, Clint, buddy, did you have sex with this guy? Is that how you got his money? Jesus, Jack, I don't do that anymore. I I told you I gave up the escort business. Besides, I've been celibate for going on six months. Oh, come on, Clint. Me of all people. I'm the guy who knows that you let the judge suck your cuck. And that is why you got a tiny little fine instead hey, of 10 years. it wasn't a tiny little fine. Christ's sake, how rich do you have to be to consider 100 grand trivial? You know, 75 of them went directly to the judge and his assistant. You need to keep your fucking eyes on the road if you're going to drive like Jeff Gordon. <laughs> Jack just grinned at me. He was used to the rhythm of our friendship, even if it pissed the hell out of me. Look, all I'm saying is, don't you think it's odd that a stranger would trust you with so much money? I don't think it's odd at all. As a matter of fact, I've run a very successful business that I started all on my own. Unlike someone I know who's just going to get his family business handed to him. (laughs) Do you remember when I was still an agent at Merrill? I was the top agent for five years. My clients had to come in with a minimum of a million dollars. You don't think Alvaro knows that I had the ability to make these guys even richer? <laughs> all right, all right. And Alvaro knows you, uh, you got banking friends in the U.S.? Yeah, there's that too, I guess. <laughs> then if your uh, new fuck buddy can save the bank, I'm 100% behind you. 
We all are. Why don't you go fuck yourself? <laughs> oh, by the way, Dad corralled Abe and me last night to a vigil at the Jewish Center to ask for the right to uh, answer the banking crisis. When we got home, you called, and Mom has taken that as a sign that you're the answer we're looking for. He pushed the accelerator to the floor as we continued down Chrome Avenue. Well, what does Abe think? Of you? Being involved with the family bank? He doesn't know. He thinks a few wealthy investors will do the trick. He's told Dad he's got some of our moneyed friends in Miami interested in it, but he hasn't brought anything concrete so far. I saw the speedometer hit a hundred as the stately palm trees whizzed by like cells in a cartoon. Yeah, he's going to be a problem. A big problem. I know. Hey, give me a cigarette out of the glove compartment. Dad told him to meet us at the bank, and he's going to be too curious not to come. Hell, he knows you're going to be there, and he'll show up just for the opportunity to put you in your place one more time. Are you still smoking? Jack, aren't you worried about your lungs? You worry about what you put in your mouth, and I'll worry about what I put in mine. You're not going to tell him where your new business partner makes his money. Tell him he's an investor in some real estate deal you've got going on in Merida, and that's where the money's coming from. But keep in mind, Mom and Dad are still major shareholders in the bank by a long shot, and Abe and I won't inherit a damn thing until one of them dies, God forbid, a hundred years from now. Abe, he doesn't have the power to fuck this up. Do your best to keep him happy so he doesn't try. And this doesn't get, you know, more complicated than it has to. But at the end of the day, he doesn't have the power. I grinned. Maybe Jack's powers of concentration were finally improving after all. I hope you enjoyed episode three of Stained Fortune. The Stained Fortune podcast was produced by myself, Joe Calderwood, and Jeff Messer. Casting by Charlie Wilson. Performances by Haven Kai, Brooks Wallace, and Alan Chandler.